Welcome to the Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bob Zarrell. With me, as always, the professional film critic, Sean Patrick, and Jeff Lasseter. Visit us at IHateCritics.net, Everyone's a Critic Podcast.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, our handles Critics Pod. Listen to us at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Alexa, all of your podcatchers. Uh, if you could go to Apple Music, though, and subscribe to the show and rate and review the show, that does help with the algorithms. We will read your review on the air. Uh, Patreon.com slash CriticsPod is the best way to help support the podcast. Uh, right now, we mentioned it a couple weeks ago, but the Friday the 13th commentary that Sean and Jeff did is live. You can hear it there. We will release it to the general public October 13th, uh, if we remember. Actually, I think I already have it scheduled. Uh, <laughs> but uh, go there and check it out. We'll try to do some more bonus content as well. We have a couple ideas we've been kicking around. And then T Public is where you can get our podcast merch. Tpublic.com, search Critics Pod, or go to IHateCritics.net and click on the T Public link. Sean, where can people read your reviews? Uh, Geeks.media or uh, just vocal.media in general, and also the uh, archive blog if you want to double check me on things I watched years ago and then call me out. Uh, it's Sean at the movies.blogspot.com. And then, Jeff, where can people get your artwork? JeffLasseter.com. Unless you're in Chicago, then next weekend I will be at Golden Con, the Golden Girls convention, uh, bringing a lot of new stuff. So come and see me. That's awesome. All right. Uh, that's kind of all there I got for you. Oh, yeah. Scream. You went and saw it again, right, Jeff? <laughs> I want to. Yeah, I saw it. I saw it Sunday again. So my son decided to start watching all of them on his own. And he got through <laughs> the first one. And then he he pulls me aside and he's like, hey, will you. You got to give me a spoiler alert here. Uh, the coolest character in the whole series is Dewey. Uh, does he. When does he die or does he. He doesn't die, does he? <laughs> And then, yeah. like, <laughs> and then I'm like, and then he goes, and the second coolest character, Randy, when does he die? He doesn't die. Does. Oh, I'm just like, really? That's Poor one and kid. two, one and two for you or <laughs> Dewey and Randy. That's when you say to him, you say, look, you really love these characters. So if they do die, then it'll, it'll really mean something. Right. That's what it's, that's what's called stakes in a movie. Well, that's what he hates. That's why he hates when it means something. He <laughs> 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 can't sleep at night and his anxiety kicks in. It's like, it's not real. <laughs> uh, oh, man, that's funny. Should we get the, should we do the voice and call him? And <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That would be amazing. That'd be hell for me for at least a day, but <laughs> it might be worth it for the story. Oh, I think your wife might have a different viewpoint on that. <laughs> what might, the fuck did you do? She might actually like it more than me. <laughs> what it, do you, you can talk about it more on the show if you want. I don't want to waste up too much of the time. I actually haven't seen anything this week, so I'm going to head out here shortly. But do you want that to be part of the body of the show, or do you want to talk scream a little bit before I go? No, it's up to you. If you want to. I'm good. Hanging if you want to out. talk about it, I'm cool to hear your cool. uh, opinion on Scream. How it's changed since you've reseen it, if it has at all. Well, I I saw it opening night, the Thursday. You know, like not the fan event because I can't see 3D, but 
um, the seven o'clock show with my nieces and I was kind of half watching the movie and half watching my, my middle niece. Cause she's like your son. She hated horror movies when I first moved back to the area. And now she's obsessed with scream, like to the point where I, I let her sign into my voodoo account and she, I mean, at least once a, once every week or so, one of the scream movies is half played on my voodoo. <laughs> um, she had a sleepover the other night and I went to watch something on voodoo and I noticed that they were watching magic Mike. <laughs> and then, then I, I'm like, oh, okay. And then when I shut off, whatever I was watching, I noticed I went back and I saw that they were watching scream Two, and they must've fallen asleep or the one, one of the girls got scared. Cause it's still half watched on there. <laughs> but she loves it. She was like, "You went." I, I went to dinner at their house yesterday, and I told her, "She was, what did you do today?" I said, "I went and saw Scream again." You didn't call me, you asshole. <laughs> She's fourteen. Um, little, very precocious. But I was like, "Well, I, I guess I should have." I'm sorry, but you know, I already paid forty bucks to take <laughs> her and her sister to watch it and snacks and all that. So I'm like, uh. You can take me. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> um, I did. Again, I liked Melissa Barrera better in this one than I did in Scream. Five or five cream. <laughs> um, I noticed some of like I've listened to a couple podcasts and talked to some of my friends and you guys about it, you know, about how the little niggling things that kind of got to you. And I saw those this time. Um, you know, again, I completely forgot about Sydney until Dick Gale said, Oh, I talked to Sydney and I was like, Oh shit, Sydney, I forgot. Cause you know, I going into watching the premiere. I watched all of them and a couple of them, you know, more than once in the lead up. And I was really like, Oh, I'm going to miss Sydney. And then not having done that, I was like, Oh shit, I forgot Sydney. <laughs> That's how I think, you know, this group is, um, I was a little, I was still pissed that, you know, they can't kill anybody that matters. Um, mm -hmm. I, I wanted Gail to survive and I, it, that's the legacy you can't kill, but one of the twins should have gone. Right. Um, the one who was know, stabbed or, 50 times by two right? people at the same time. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, and then it, I kind of chuckled because, um, uh, Jenna Ortega, Tara, she goes, how are you still alive? And I was like, yes, how are you still alive? Because you're Mason Gooding and you're, you know, you're yeah. good looking and you're the only guy that is left. Because the movie was written um, out of order. They they put the, they filmed the romantic <laughs> part and they're like, oh, wait, no, we already killed him. Yeah, well, <laughs> my guess I guess was, we'll have to bring him back to life. It was ad lib on Jenna Ortega's part. <laughs> she didn't like the script, so she's added it. This makes no sense. Uh, I am. I am also. I am loath to talk about people's appearance because I mean you've all seen me on YouTube, um, but Courtney Cox. I'm. So, I. I just. I don't get plastic surgery that you can't let go. You know, she her lip fillers just. I, I just really noticed it this time um, when she was in the in her first scene, and I was just like, oh my god, stop! And this is this. Anybody listening? Do not ever suggest that a woman needs to get plastic surgery because you don't look better. You just look different. 
You don't look like yourself anymore. Um, you know, that's like all the hate that Madonna gets, all the hate that Courtney Cox gets, all that. It's because we have unrealistic beauty standards. That's my rant. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Ridiculous beauty standards. Absolutely. Plus, I'm doing a drawing right now of the, I'm like kind of going back and doing all posters for each screen movie. And I'm re- I really have to look at all their faces very, very carefully. And it's just like, you know, it's, it's sad because she doesn't look like she did. I mean, and even like, no. not even the age, you know, I don't right. look like mm-hmm. I did at 30 or 25 or however old she was filming the first one. I don't look the same, but I can, you know, I look like myself. Right. So it just, that it really bugged yeah. me. And it really kind of took me out of the movie for a minute. Um, although I guess one of my friends, when I mentioned it today said, you know what, that could just be part of the, that could be in universe because she is on TV and you know, she does feel that need, but sure. that is parent. That's a, that's a reasonable thing. I think though, with the lip filler though, uh, you have to, you have to actually have it done to, to make it look like that. I think. And I don't know what it is about this lip filler technology that just doesn't work. Like when I see somebody, when I see a specifically a woman who gets this lip filler stuff, it just never looks like like right after Madonna. And it does seem to go back to normal. Like Madonna looks better now, but like and right after she got the lip filler the first time, yeah, horrifying, horrifying. If you get, she, it depends on what kind you get too. Yeah, um, if it, if it's silicone, which I suspect, like Lisa Rinna, who used to be on Days of Our Lives, and she's one of the Real Housewives now, she had silicone in the early '90s injected into her lips. Hmm. Um, her she has like. It's, it's always been her thing. She's had these huge lips and um, she, she said, I remember I used to watch her on days of our lives and I used to read all the soap opera magazines. Hi, I'm a homo. And <laughs> she talked about it. She said, you know what? She, somebody mentioned that, you know, that her distinctiveness and she said, well, I made the mistake of going to somebody who wasn't qualified and I got silicone injected in my lips and it's there forever unless I, you know, have it taken out. But uh, you know, and she's, as she's aged, her face has aged a little bit. She does have a little, she's had some touch up, but her lips are just garish now because she had this done. You can get saline and then it'll, you know, it'll eventually go away. Madonna had that in, I think 1990. Mm. Uh, I, I used to look at everything Madonna and I had some, I had a couple magazines and she just, she didn't look like herself because she'd had plumpers or whatever. Uh, but it, and it's not just you know it's not just women. I've seen no, no, some guys who have had, um, you know, fillers and lip fillers and Mickey Rourke. I know he that he oh, had yeah. a mm-hmm. he had a bad accident and that was part of the reason. But again, people get addicted to it, and once you have you know once you have one thing, it's so easy to go get another and another and another and. There's a meme that went around last fall with him uh, in profile, and it it was like Mickey Mickey Rourke has turned himself from this, and there's a picture of him young, you know, gorgeous. He was so good looking, and then they said he's transformed from this into the shape from Halloween, <laughs> and you kind of yeah. see it because his hairline, <laughs> his hairline is so far back, and you know where your sideburns go if you've got a beard or whatever. Right. It's just it starts like right at the top of his ears and just. It's 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 an addiction, and I get it. Um, I actually taught. This is going to sound like I'm name dropping, and I kind of am. But when I lived in LA, 
and it was during COVID and I would sit outside of Starbucks and just work on a drawing and watch people go by. And I had met Leslie Jordan at the airport several months before this. And he saw me drawing one day outside of Starbucks and he stopped. He was like, Oh, what's this? And I'm like, Oh, hi. And I, I said, we've met before, you know, so this would have, I would go up there every day. I wasn't working because of COVID and I was just, you know, trying to get some artwork out there and we would watch all the people walk by. And he would just rail on these people and their plastic surgery. And it was the <laughs> funniest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Hmm. Um, to the point where I I was like, oh, my God, Leslie, you can't say that. <laughs> you, can't say that about- <laughs> you can't say that. And A, you can't say that about people. B, you can't say it so loud that they hear you and look at you. <laughs> there was one of the drag queens from RuPaul's Drag Race who used to come and get the – get. I think that's where she picked up her tricks from Grinder, but she'd also get this <laughs> from the seafood. There's a lobster restaurant right next to the Starbucks that used to be on the corner of Santa Monica and uh, Robertson, maybe. I, um, but they'd come and pick up their seafood and their tricks at the same time, and they had had a lot of work done. And Leslie Jordan would say to me, do you think that she can even like chew that lobster with all the with all that lip filler and i i mean it was just it was so funny but since then Mm -hmm. i've kind of like okay i I don't want to i'm not criticizing i'm just saying i'm criticizing society for making it making that happen so and and you know there's also an industry too that not just hollywood but like an industry in the medical industry that are keep filling people's heads with the idea that they can be young forever and that these things can Mm -hmm. work and it's a 50-50 shot, honestly. Uh, for, I, I know they don't want to tell you that, but it is. Uh, that you yeah. can t- entirely lose yourself. That's what happened to Michael Jackson. Uh, Michael Jackson mm-hmm. had a lot of problems, but he was trying to get his face back after it got fucked up the first time. He was trying to go yeah. back to being Michael Jackson, and they couldn't do it. So he just kept getting more work and more work trying to find himself again. and uh, it, it just became impossible after a while. Well, and and you know, you look you look at him in his last years, and then you look at Janet, who had a nose job and you know a little a procedures here and there, but never didn't look like Janet. Right. Mm-hmm. She still had that same smile that she had on you know on even different strokes. You know what I mean? She was still that sweet face, but Michael was addicted, and I I think it's funny that we were going to talk about Scream and now we're talking about the <laughs> beauty standards of Hollywood and, and beyond. But right. it's 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 a problem, especially when you know. And we'll, so we'll talk about Shazam. Helen Mirren. Everybody talks about how beautiful she is, and she is. If she's had work done, it's just a like a little bit here and there. But I don't think she has. Um, Jane Fonda is one who you. She has gorgeous jeans anyway. She always has. And her plastic surgeon should get the Nobel Prize. Yeah. <laughs> because, I mean, it, it she is, just... Yeah, it is good work. I get it. I get it, yeah. She looks like... She doesn't look her age because she's, what, 85? Mm-hmm. But she looks 75. She's not trying to look 30. Right. Um. You know, Lily Tomlin is... It, she's always had an angular face, and now she's, you know, she's had some fillers and stuff. Um. But she doesn't look not like herself. I think she might have gone to Jane Fonda's plastic surgeon because they're so good, such good friends. But like, 
you know, it's a little bit is fine, but stop getting addicted to it. <laughs> that has been the advice hour. Now let's. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <All> right. Sorry. <laughs> All right. I need to go. Uh, drop off the show but you guys take it from here and hopefully if you guys want to do more later on texting near the end and i can maybe pop back on yeah we definitely want you back for flick chart all right yeah talk to you guys later see ya all right now let's talk about bob um (laughs) the work he's had done amazing (laughs) yeah everybody i i worked a part-time job last fall and um all the kids and I call kids anybody under 30 now because I'm old. They're like, oh, what do you like, 40? And I was like, oh, bless your heart. And I told <laughs> I told them how, that I'm 50 and they're like, no way. Oh, my God. How, well, you know, why do you look younger? And I said, because I never smile. <laughs> I'm like Christina well, see, Ricci I, Wednesday album. Wednesday I, get the, albums. I get the same thing. Like uh, I get I get that I get a, I have a very young face and a, and I can attribute that to to not smoking and not drinking. I mean, not yeah. not to say that those are bad things. Go ahead, smoke, drink all you want. That's up to you. But because I've never done that, it has kept me a little bit. I feel a little bit more youthful uh, than yeah. I otherwise might be. I've just not done that kind of damage to my body. I don't. I also don't go outside all that much because I watch too many movies. <laughs> so there's le- less sun damage as well. So, there's I mean, no sun in the basement, Sean. Just <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there's there's, I, there's that, but. Uh, uh, I wish I wish I'd gone outside during during a Shazam uh, Fury of the Gods, maybe like in the middle somewhere. Maybe gone, oh. you know, had a got had some food and come back and maybe catch the end. This isn't that bad. It's just kind of there. This is another one of those movies where it's just like achingly competent, which seems to be like a place where Hollywood is settling in into this place where we've whittled down the directors. We've whittled away sort of the really, truly bad directors but we've mm-hmm. also kind of limita- limited the guys who are really, really good, or the people who are really, really good, uh, in a way that kind of marginalized them off to, you know, limited release and whatnot. And so now we're getting yeah. just this bland, like potato soup of just <laughs> competent directors. <laughs> now that's to say that's a, that's to say I I should point out that I think uh, David F. Sandberg is a very good director. Uh, he I thought the first Shazam was a pretty good movie, and I think his horror work is exceptional. But uh. This was just blandly competent. Uh, the story is picking up from the first Shazam. Billy Batson and his family, his uh, brothers and sisters, adopted brothers and sisters, all have superpowers. And in this story now, after having fought together, they're now fighting separately. Each of them wants to go their own way. Billy's trying to hold them together. Very bland, very particular, very, very obvious story being told. The problem is, is that... Instead of growing up, Billy Batson has somehow gotten even more obnoxiously, like, immature and uh, angsty. He seems to be going backwards instead of forwards, and that's a real shame. Uh, he, there was a very thin line between obnoxious and charming in the first Shazam, uh, and I thought he kind of walked that line pretty well to the point where I found him charming and likable. Uh, in in the superhero persona. This time, though, he seems dumber. He seems like he's playing the character down, and that's a, a big step back for me. And though overall, that's really what holds me back from liking this movie, cause, like, which, again, is achingly competent on every other level <laughs> aside from <laughs> aside from his character. Uh, I like the addition of Rachel Ziegler. I think she's I think she's always interesting. She's always pulling focus away from the other because she seems so much more interesting than everybody else in the movie. 
Yeah. Uh, uh, Helen Mirren is always great, but she seems to be kind of on autopilot. She's kind of. <laughs> yeah, she um, just she doesn't she wasn't Helen Mirren. To yeah, me this time she's not that full Helen Mirren presence. Like if you want to see Helen Mirren, watch the Queen. That movie is incredible. Yeah, she gives you a like a full bodied Elizabeth for the first time ever. It's incredible to watch. Uh, that's Helen Mirren at her absolute best. Uh, here she just she she's there, but she's kind of like, what else am I going to be doing today? Like, <laughs> I think I got to pick up the dry cleaning at some point. Uh, I'll have somebody do that. Um, maybe there's something I don't know. I got to go to a play tonight or something. <laughs> like, she just seems to be checking her calendar throughout the movie. Yeah, she just she's. It's like almost the definition of phoning it in. Yeah, yeah. Um, Minus I also. A phone. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I also like. I love everybody in this cast with, I, I have some issues with Zachary Levi now. Cause I found mm. out he's a big Jordan Peterson proponent and I can't Ew. separate. Yeah. I just can't separate that. Um, but cause that's, that's the slippery slide from, you know what guys, some guys are good and, you know, treated badly by women to fuck trans people. That's the slippery slope. Ew. You know, he's like three episodes of Joe Rogan away from being a transphobe. <laughs> um sorry i can't stop being political today um so i kept that that kind of was in the back of my head the whole time it just kind of bothered me but i i generally liked him and Mm -hmm. i liked i really liked him in the first shazam um what i did miss though is teenage billy batson Hmm. yeah that kid. i watched i watched the original one um uh you know like before i went and saw this one i was like I forgot how good he was and how, you know, he really kind of makes you feel the, you know, abandonment. Mm-hmm. And I think if we'd had more of him in this, that whole, you know, my siblings are abandoning me thing is, would have been a little more believable. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's, I think there's an element here where like in the first film, I think Zachary Levi and him were spending a lot of time together and working on the character together. And it doesn't seem to be the case this time. There seems to be a a distinct. Yeah. There seems to be a distinct disconnect between those two characters, the way he's the way the kid is playing Billy Batson and the way that, uh, uh, that Zachary Levi is playing him as Shazam. It just seems they seem off. Yeah. There's, it's like a disconnect between them. Um, I, I just, I was he filming something else? Was he not available? I really wanted them to be able to kind of explore, you know, have him run into his his birth mom mm-hmm. when he's out with his foster mom, and you know, have that scene where he's just like, she's like, oh my god, you know, and he's just like, I'm good now. This is my mom. You know, he he could have introduced. I just I wanted more after watching right. that subplot in the last one because that's his whole his whole character arc is being abandoned and finding a family in these other superheroes from the foster home, you know, it, and it, yeah, the themes are very muddled uh, in yeah. this movie. Uh, like, cause and very obvious, like the one about him referring to the adoptive mom by her name, instead of calling her mm-hmm. mom, you know, you know that by the end, he's going to call her mom. Like that's just, that's just, that is very lame. That's screen Screenwriting yeah. 101. Yeah. 
Uh, but they also set up the theme of like him trying to bring them together. They set up this big sequence on the bridge, on this collapsing bridge, where none of them are working together. They are saving people, but they're not, you know, working together at it. They're all doing it their yeah. own way. So the theme should be them learning to work together. And by the end, it's just Billy by himself saving the world. And that, right. <laughs> that is in defiance of the theme of uh, what should be the theme. Uh, because again, I think the writing on this is incredibly lazy. Yeah, yeah. I um, I didn't love it. And I thought, you know, there are, they, they could have cut out. And I, this is my run. I've noticed this. I've listened to some of our older shows. And this is my running theme is this movie could have been shorter. Mm, but absolutely. Not, not, not for like runtime fatigue or anything. But this one, you could have cut out, you know, probably about a good 10 minutes of just repetitive stuff. How about cut out um, the ten minute Skittles sequence? Could we not? Could we do it without the Skittles? Oh my god! Oh my god! First of all, I hate Skittles. They're disgusting. <laughs> They're like um, harder to eat Starburst. I've never had a Skittle. Oh god! They're just oh, they get like oh, you're left with this little like tiny little lump of whatever at the end, and it's just oh, it's disgusting. Uh, it sounds um, disgusting, but it gets it gets like too like. It gets like two spots in this movie where like the little girl is going to uh, she wants to feed Helen Mirren. Uh, and so she gives her Skittles, but she only gives her the yellow ones because those are the ones she, that the little girl hates, yeah, <laughs> uh, which is I, I guess get... they, I guess it's cute if unless it's you know, but the character is being played by Megan Good at that point and not the little girl. So it didn't like yeah. <laughs> there was a disconnect there. But uh, the, the the second scene is just egregious. They've got to get like ancient warrior unicorns to fight with them. So they need to give them Skittles. <laughs> I, you know what? I fuck it's the that. most, yeah, it's the most forced and, and like ugly kind of product placement that I, it, like there's you know, good product placement in movies and there's terrible product placement in movies. And there really is no middle ground. And this one's certainly not on the middle ground. This is bad. You know what they should have done? They should have had Mike Myers dressed as Wayne from Wayne's World come out with a bag of Skittles and just hold it up and go, taste the rainbow. You know, that's the only way that it was not. The only way. It was just so forced. And I get mm -hmm. that you have to have product placement and whatever, but could you just say like candy or something? I don't, it just was stupid. Yeah. Um, everybody, everybody to a person that's seen it that I've talked to called that moment out as the worst thing they've seen in the theaters this year. Right. Yeah, that, that's he's the rainbow. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, I really, I guess we're gonna we'll spoil some stuff. I was pleased that they actually had Gal Gadot in the movie as Wonder Woman, mm -hmm. as opposed to just you know some muscly guy walking behind. Uh, what's his face, Jack? Jake? Oh yeah. <laughs> that the the Superman cameo from the original. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was I was pleased that she did it, and since we're not going to see her anymore, I thought it was a good send off. Um, for the for her portrayal, because I I liked her even in Wonder Woman 1984. So having her, you know, kind of walk off into the literal sunset, I thought that was nice. Um, yeah. I really. I laughed out loud in the theater when you thought you were going to see her face at dinner 
in his dream and it was Jimon Huzu. I was like, I laughed out loud. I thought that was yeah, hilarious. I mean, they're so ridiculous. There are elements of this that are good. Like there are elements of this that are, that are clever in that way. And I wish there was more of that in this, but uh, I just, I find most of it just kind of like, I know where we're going. I get, and, and I don't mind these characters. They're, they're, Charming enough in many ways, uh, you know, the, outside of, again, a lot of the choices that Zachary Levi makes. <laughs> uh, well, we but, know that the Snyderverse is ending. Yeah. And I really got about halfway through the movie and I'm like, oh, they know the Snyderverse is ending. And they're just kind of like, OK, well, this there's no stakes here. So I was uh, I was funny, though. I was I was actually writing about how this how about the Snyderverse a little bit in my in my review of this film. And I I was like I was kind of I've kind of been bugged all this whole time about the the way that certain elements of the DC universe are this, you know, childlike dream, you know, this childlike wonder about uh, superhero powers and they're filled with candy colors and whatnot. And then you've got Snyder basically making black and white art films, super movies, superhero <laughs> movies. And I was like, these things don't fit together, you know, with like Superman, you know, like the future of the, of the DCU is this you know, wasteland ruled over by an evil Superman. And then it kind of got thinking, you know what, actually this does kind of track because Billy Batson and his family are just the kind of people you would feed to an evil Superman. He would just murder the hell out of them to shock you <laughs> in the first 10 minutes of that movie. And it's like, yeah, because Billy Batson is that guy who would throw himself into that situation and get himself killed. That's kind of perfect, actually. The whole Shazam fa- Shazamily, as they've been called, which is just the worst, oh, by the way. Jesus, <laughs> I hate it so much. Uh, the them getting just absolutely murdered by Superman would actually be a great opening to a very bleak, you know, Snyderverse <laughs> future of the DC <laughs> film universe. So actually, I, I mean, do think I, they fit together. Yeah, I, I, I kind of wish that they were still going. You know, they were still going to go forward with like the the expanded universe mm-hmm. stories. You know, where this one doesn't doesn't necessarily fit in. Sorry, Jeff. Got, I, there must be some kind of emergency because I've got somebody calling me more than once. Hang on a second. Sorry. Huh. Hello. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm recording my podcast. I I just texted you. I'm sorry. That's all right. I saw you call twice, and I didn't want to miss you in case. No, I've never heard of it. Oh, wow. That's awesome, dude. That's very cool. Congratulations. Wow. Well, I want to hear all about it, but I got to finish this. All right. Bye. (laughs) Bob, you got something to cut out. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry about that, Bob. (laughs) <laughs> when somebody calls you like two times in a row it's like oh my god it must be something serious uh yeah. she was just had something really good happen to her so that was really nice oh, uh <laughs> nice. all right so uh we were talking about shazam and uh 
like it, yeah. Uh, the I thought for maybe just for a moment. No, I didn't really. I didn't really think the movie had any balls, actually. But there was a moment where it's like maybe they'll kill him. Like maybe the Snyderverse is ending. Maybe they kill him. No, of course they didn't. This movie doesn't have that kind of balls. Yeah. <laughs> I would have been impressed though. I honestly would have upped my review like to a slightly more positive one if they had like pushed forward on that and actually made that a a thing where Billy Batson dies. Not that I want the character to die. I know I've said that over and over again. I'm saying that I'm saying it would have been true to this character to do what he did and it would have been bold and different from from the very formulaic way they played it out overall. Yeah. I you know and they they could have and there's no telling what this, what the DC universe is going to do. Mm-hmm. Um this is you dead. Know, and this is, Shazam is dead. It made $30 oh, oh, million I, I, opening weekend. It's over with. Oh, I, yeah, I know that. I'm just saying, I, and I think that's because the public knows that the Snyderverse is dead. Yeah. I, I really think that they're just like, why should we care? Why should we not wait until it gets up on HBO Max or whatever it's going to be? And by the time that comes out, you know, um, people don't care because they, because DC is spectacularly bad hmm. at this. Yeah. At building a universe. So sadly, Marvel is going in that direction. <laughs> they're, they're getting, they're growing bad at it. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing them kill everybody in the guardians of the galaxy off. Um, Cause you know, like a lot of people don't want to do that anymore. And I'm kind mm. of fine with that. I, I'm not a huge fan of what's his face. Uh, um, and I, he always plays the same character. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's playing for Andy from parks and rec as star Lord, you know, <laughs> it would have been a great crossover if Andy had gotten picked up and become star Lord. Um, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I'm, I liked Quantumania. I think we talked about that. I liked it. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't love I didn't it, it. But um, you know, I'm just kind of waiting for to see like Secret Wars and that kind of stuff because that's the kind of you know the big world building ones that I like. So the problem that I have with the Marvel universe right now is it seems to be trending towards what Shazam is, which is that bland middle inoffensive middle ground where you know nothing yeah. bad can really happen uh that that's you know at the very least whether you like snyder's work or not he at least goes there on his on his superman movies his batman his superman batman movie he went there uh in justice league he goes there and in, into dark but violent places potentially you know, very, with real stakes. It feels like Batman or Superman could die. It feels like you know there's a universe here where there where there could be something at stake in the future. And he plants the seed of the idea that Superman could go bad, which is a pretty big stake to hang out there. Like he was taking big chances. And I may not yeah. love Zack Snyder's work overall, but I think I did like Justice League, his his four hour Justice League. I watched it in one sitting, which I thought was not possible. <laughs> but it was like a it was like a great TV show that I didn't want to turn off. Uh, I yeah. would have liked to have seen seen more of that because, uh, again, he at least at the very least, you can't say he didn't take big swings and big chances with his movies. Whereas, yeah, 
I think we're where we're headed. Like I think Quantum Mania is. I didn't uh, didn't hate it, but again, it is very competent, and that sort of bland competence, uh, that inoffensive forgettableness, is kind of where we're trending everywhere. And I really don't like it. <laughs> I really, really well, don't like it. I would much rather a movie be terrible than a movie be like Shazam and just a movie that's already leaving me. I. I kind of wonder though, because I I liked Multiverse of Madness, not for what they did to Wanda. We're not. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not talking about that. But they did right. have the guts to make a beloved character bad for the wrong reasons. Um, there was also a horror element to it with you know Marvel zombies, which would love to see them do that, um, and. You know, killing off some fan favorites, even if it was in the multiverse. Mm-hmm. I, but people didn't like that. That you know, oh, we, oh, we want John Krasinski to play Reed Richards, and then he does. And they're like, oh, he was only on there for a minute. It sucked. I hate it. I don't want him to ever to be on. You know, and it's like, you give people what they want, and they don't want it anymore. It's like Courtney I, think, Love I said, just think that took- what you want, and you never want it again. <laughs> I just think they took all the wrong chances in that movie. <laughs> the problem, <laughs> but they took uh, they, some. Yeah, that's that it's, was my it's, point. It, they took it some. is at least I will give you that. That is a far more memorable movie than Shazam is. <laughs> I may hate Multiverse of Madness, but it's a far more memorable experience than Shazam, which I've already is already just it's mostly gone at this point. <laughs> yeah, I. I mean. Right now, we aren't technically building to anything the way they were building to Avengers, uh, you know, and Age of Ultron. And, you know, they, they're not it doesn't seem like they're building to any of that, even though they are. I know they are. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and I know that Quantumania was building towards something, but I never got that sense until the end credit scenes. Yeah. Very true. Um, and I think. I think part of that is the detri- the detriment to the movies is the TV shows. Um, mm. And because of the fact that, oh, there was a, an end credit scene instead of something like massive, like the Thanos scene, you know, like where he turns at the end of Avengers and you're like, holy shit, <laughs> they finally are doing Thanos. It's, oh, it's a thing for the Loki TV series. That's, gonna have be coming out again soon mm-hmm. you know it wasn't that you know it wasn't i don't know galactus or any you know anybody any of the big villains from other uh like sony or right you know what i mean and they could have said it could have been you know like wolverine or something like that but it was like oh we're doing the tv shows and credit song and yeah. credit scenes now now it's a, so, it's a commercial for Disney Plus, yeah. <laughs> which again part of my blandening of the of the of the overall universe is that is that type of corporate synergy as opposed to something nice like Thanos. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it makes me wonder well, though. This this whole conversation though has made me wonder if like if Batgirl maybe was actually a movie that did take a lot of chances, and that's why they're not releasing it because they want more Shazams and less. Batgirls, like less movies that might have a risk to them. From what I hear, 
and this is just me hearing a couple things from a couple people. There was a, there was something in Batgirl, and I don't know. Take this with like a grain of a tiny grain, the tiniest grain of salt. Mm-hmm. There was some plot point in Batgirl that would not have ever paid off with what they're doing with it. Yeah, and because it was done, you know, it was gonna it was gonna be part of the Snyderverse, and it had something to do with like Batman or Robin or something with where, you know, they're coming up with in the flash movie that again, why, why release that if you're not going to release Batgirl? Uh, (laughs) You know, it it just, it's one of those mysteries that will probably never be solved. We'll probably see a, a no FX version of it someday on, on the internet, but who knows? Apparently there was something that would, it would have pissed so many people off that they just abandoned the Snyderverse. See, and there it is. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. They probably took a really big risk. And yeah. that is exactly what corp- corporate media does not want you to do anymore. They are blandening yeah. everything. They want Shazam, uh, not <laughs> not movies that are going to be memorable. That's, a, that's to say, again, Shazam isn't bad. It's just not good. <laughs> it just, it's a yeah, movie. I- it's a movie. My first, my first thought was, "Oh, I don't like this." And then, towards the end, when you know Gal Gadot came came out and was Wonder mm-hmm. Woman, I was like, "Oh, it's hit me right there." I really like her, and um, I really, if it's a comic book movie, first of all, nobody is dead forever in a comic book movie. They're like soap operas, you know. Every time, like the death of Superman, until you know sales go down, and then we gotta we gotta resurrect him. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that there will never be another Shazam movie in this iteration, um, just based on how HBO and Warner Brothers is completely fucking everything up. It seems <laughs> like right, um, but I would have gone to see another shazam movie i didn't hate it i was just Mm -hmm. disappointed that it was you know there were so many unnecessary details um yeah a lot could have been condensed in it but i'm i'm coming off like i hate it but it's like i i hate more of what it what it seems to represent which is again that that middle ground that growing uh middle ground of movie that is just it is the bane of my existence, this kind of movie, because it feels like I'm not going to have anything to write about or think about or talk about later. And I, I mean, granted, we've had a long conversation about it, which is nice as <laughs> a good conversation and all. But uh, it's a conversation about how kind of empty this is. This is a very empty calorie movie. Yeah. And, and you got Lucy Liu, who plays a great bitch. She's just <laughs> so good at it. But you never knew if she was really a bitch or if she's going to turn at the last minute or, you know, mm-hmm. is she, is she good? Is she bad? Is she really bad? Um, until, you know, the movie's almost over and then you're like, Oh, she's really, really bad. So yeah. I just think a lot of it was wasted. Um, I think I it was undercooked. Like the design of the dragon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They took it out of the oven too soon. I think. Yeah. All right, let's talk true crime. Uh, Boston Strangler is on Hulu, and it stars uh, Kira Knightley and Carrie Coon as the uh, 
seemingly forgotten journalists who followed the case of the Boston Stranglers, because there were more than one. Uh, they, these uh, two uh, incredible journalists uh, sort of stumble across this story. Uh, Kira Knightley's character is a reporter for this Boston newspaper. She li- she works in the lifestyle section. She's kind of uh, pigeonholed there. She's told by her mom about this murder that occurs, and she decides that she wants to follow that story. She gets permission from her editor, Chris Cooper, to pursue it, but only if Carrie Coon, a more experienced crime reporter, uh, works with her on the story, as that develops into the story of the Boston Strangler, which uh, is a a series of killings, about 13 of them. Uh, Mostly it begins with these elderly women alone in their homes, and it grows from there. But the story that's being told here, and I think it's one that's really necessary and vital, is that this was a story of of male-on-female violence. This was a story of men using the Strangler as a cover to do horrible things, to cover up their horrible, you know, things they were doing in their life. Uh, And that story doesn't get told enough. We get told the story of, it's strange, you just sort of come to accept over time that this this whole Albert DeSalvo story, and yes, I do believe Albert DeSalvo is a murderer. I think they proved that Mm -hmm. in 2013 via DNA evidence, he was a murderer. He did murder them. But I think he only murdered those old ladies. I think that and yeah. that fits with what we know of serial killers. Serial killers have a type. They have a they have a way they go about doing things. It doesn't vary. And the killings that happened of these younger women did not match the pattern at all. They the, One of them was African-American, which, again, people with serial killers with a very specific pathology don't tend to stray in that direction. They certainly don't go younger if they're killing older people. Like, that's a yeah. pathology that that is just so hardwired into these types of serial killers. We know that now. They wouldn't have known that then. And one of the things that also is good about this movie is it's incredibly, incredibly fair to the detectives on the ground. Now it's very it's not very complimentary of the guys up top, but those guys up top, the 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 politicians and the and the leaders of the police department who are, you know, screwing up this case through their egotism and not wanting to work together with other with other police departments or other jurisdictions trying to hold their murders in their place and not sharing information uh, and the various political machinations that went into that, uh, they definitely made it impossible to actually solve this case. But the guys on the ground were doing relatively good work. They were following what they had in front of them. And I think they could have made good progress on this if it hadn't been for all that outside bullshit (laughs) constantly pressing upon them. And I thought the movie was incredibly fair in presenting that. But uh, if I've got one complaint, I guess this has has one cliche that kind of bugs me about movies like this. There's always that scene where, like, uh, and this one has bothered me because the husband of Kira Knightley's character begins as this very supportive, forward-thinking guy, but then when the plot needs him to be, uh, needs him to fit <laughs> into what actually happened, which they ended up getting divorced, uh, he has to become the guy who's upset that his wife isn't there to make him dinner at night, uh, and he's got to become unsupportive, just seemingly out of nowhere. And there's no real way to develop that character uh, to make it any more less or less jarring that it is that turn from being supportive to being unsupportive. But it's a cliche in movies like this yeah. where the, the the daring, bold, brave reporter uh, has the difficult home life, you know, where she's not uh, she's not being supported by her loved ones who wanted to get off that case and come home and be with your family and be a mom and all that stuff. 
it's too much of a too much of a cliche. I wish they'd found a way around that a little bit better. But overall, I thought this movie was gripping. I thought it was exciting. I thought the two lead performances were exceptional. I love the supporting players. I thought they made smart choices. Rory Cochran is used as a plot point, but he's such a compelling presence to me that uh, when he's introduced at the very beginning and then brought back to the very end, I loved that as kind of a mm-hmm. like a a red herring, a way of like reminding you like this wasn't just Boston. This wasn't just, you know, there were more, there was more going on here. That was very exciting. That was a really interesting way to tell that story and to use him as a function early on to set up uh, that story and then to bring him back at the end. I thought that was very clever storytelling. Yeah. I, I, when when you said about the husband, it was like, when I started watching, I was like, Oh, it's so, it's so refreshing to see the husband, at that time in the late sixties say you do what you have to do. And then of course I, when that, when that happens, like girl, where did this come from? Cause (laughs) you know, 20 minutes ago you were like, yeah, girl power. Um, my, my main, I, I thought it was superbly acted every, you know, it was like the period my one problem, and this is a problem I have with a lot of movies, the color timing and everything was so dark. Mm-hmm. I, I, my TV, I have a Samsung TV that sometimes if I scrolling through the bottom menu or something, it'll just stay dark. Like the, the TV goes dark so that the menu um, with all the apps and stuff is brighter. But sometimes I'll have to change the setting on it. And I was like, did it revert to the setting revert? Because everything was so dark. Yep. Stop doing that with everything. <laughs> you know, I know it's the past. I get that right. it's the past, but you know where the and and it it was like they were trying to do Zodiac by David Fincher. You know, use his color timing and stuff. And I was like, yeah. why? Why does it have to be so dark? It doesn't have to be because yes, it's a dark story, but it's also we want to see the fashion and the, you know, the settings. We want to see mm-hmm. that it's the sixties and how well they do setting that scene. So that was my, li- that was my only yeah. quibble. Really, I liked, I liked the period cinematography. I thought that was interesting. I thought it looked like the 1960s, but you're right. At times it was a little too dark and they could have definitely found areas to just bring a little bit more light in. I, I do agree with that. I thought the choices that they made in 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 scenes of uh, you know, creating tension were just kind of brilliant. Uh, I loved when Kira Knightley ends up going into that uh, apartment by herself with that guy, and then immediately turns around and walks out. It's like, like <laughs> that is characters don't often get to be that smart, and I liked that. I liked that a lot. I, I was really impressed with that, and I loved that that still has also kind of a payoff later, which is great. Uh, yeah. Just. It's it's a terrific piece of true crime storytelling, but it also has this kind of uh, a seriousness to it that that is you know very modern and and it's telling a story that has a sort of a modern re- resonance about again uh, male and female violence and and uh, and you know that that creepy way that men can insinuate themselves in, into women's lives mm-hmm. and in, a, in that sort of toxic way and i thought that was really well done without without being too prominent without overcoming the elements that make it you know popcorn entertainment yeah one of the things that i that i enjoyed about this and i i've been saying since i watched Dahmer 
mm-hmm. um, on Netflix was we need to stop centering these stories around the killers and making them look famous or whatever. We need mm-hmm. to start centering around things like this, like the journalist who broke the story, like in same with Zodiac, you know, it was Robert Graysmith and say what you will about the guy in the Zodiac books and how he probably, you know, accused the wrong man or whatever, but it was about him and he was discovering all this. It wasn't focused, you know, on the killer mm-hmm. necessarily. Yes, they show some of the killings, but, you know, it's just like this. This was centered on the two female journalists who broke the story. And that, to me, is kind of the future. If we're going to keep telling these true crime stories, which I'm a big fan of true crime, um, you know, but even my 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 friend Patrick's podcast, True Crime, true crime Obsessed, they talk about that a lot, and they say – Stop making killers famous. Let's start talking about the badass people who saw these cases. And and yes, yes, absolutely. The police, the institution of policing is corrupt. However, there are a few good cops that will that go after these guys, and mostly yes, mostly the guys, and are actually trying to do this this work and. Mm-hmm. You know, female journalists like this, they're breaking, you know, they're breaking all the stories. Like um, Mandy Matney, who I don't know if you're familiar with this stupid fucking Murdoch case where the no. guy killed his wife and son because I, the walls I tried were closing to, in. I tried to avoid it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it's so hard when, it, you know, you open Twitter on the days that that was the thing was going on. I'm just like, I don't ever want to see this ginger soulless motherfucker ever again. And then it's just constant. But Mandy Matney is a journalist who did a podcast called The Murdoch Murders. And she set the bar super high, I might add, for for storytelling of this kind of magnitude and how to center it. And we should be, you know, if they make a movie about that case, it should be centered around Mandy Matney, not this soulless ginger murderer motherfucker yeah it's so indicative of (laughs) it's so indicative of our past a sort of accidental misogyny the way that uh the way that serial killers get centered in that narrative instead of the people that either catch them or the people that they kill uh which you know yeah, name a name a victim of Albert DeSalvo. Like if you haven't seen this movie, like you know Albert DeSalvo, you know him as the Boston Strangler, and we get to hear his name, but you've never heard the name of these two journalists before this movie. Like you know, like they, I never their, had their story. And I, I yeah. do a lot of true crime stuff, so their part of this has been completely left out of history for reasons that you can only chalk up to just that again that accidental misogyny that centers you know, the way that our media has centered stories mostly from a male perspective and i i know i sound woke or whatever when i say that it's (laughs) it's i'm not alleging a conspiracy i'm saying that for years men wrote history and what do you know men put men at the center of history it's just the way it kind of works you know yes abolish the patriarchy everybody (laughs) i i just no and i'm you i'm actually being serious because Mm -hmm. There are so many more interesting stories that never get told. Uh, you know, our current political climate, you know, Florida's where locals to die. Good. 
call yourself woke then and die. Because it's just woke is the is knowing that this stuff, this misogyny and racism and sexism and homophobia and transphobia exists and how to take steps to eliminate the phobias. You know what I mean? It's right. it's not it's not just rampant political correctness. No, it's just it's showing people like did you ever know about the Tulsa race massacre? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um before a couple years ago? I never did. I never learned about it in school. Mm-hmm. Um you know it's it's stuff like that that the 1619 project was very interesting on Hulu. Um you know, done by a fellow Iowan, Nicole Hannah-Jones. You know, that kind of stuff is, they call it woke, but it just means we're not just interested in cis, cis heterosexual white men anymore. There's a whole other, there's millions of other stories out there that can be told. And that's what I really loved about this one, as opposed to the, you know, the Tony Curtis one, because it was more about you know, breaking the story as opposed to being the story. We'll get to that in a second. I do want to say that it's it's very strange when I think about woke uh, as a term and what it means. It's like, it's literally just saying that racism, sexism, uh, hatred is just bad. Just on the most basic level, shouldn't we all agree those are bad things? (laughs) Instead of finding way, I get yelled at for being woke and I'm like, all I'm saying is racism is bad. (laughs) Yeah. There's (laughs) that, you know, there's that, uh, there's a couple of things that have happened recently. Like there's, um, textbooks in Florida, Mm -hmm. the ones that are going to be used in Florida to teach about, um, those are not textbooks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the one about Rosa Parks completely leaves out why she was forced to sit in the front of the bus or the back of the bus. It does. It mentions in all the other versions, except the ones that go to Florida and maybe Texas, that it was because of the color of her skin, not the ones that go to Florida, because <laughs> you can't say that. You can't. You can't put the actual truth and facts in a book anymore. Oh, um, and it's just you know what? If if you're so concerned with your own religion and your own kids learning about shit then fine homeschool them i don't care anymore but you can't tell other people how how they get to parent their kids Mm -hmm. um if only albert DeSalvo had had a good family life maybe he wouldn't be (laughs) a killer my transition i bet he saw a drag show i bet he saw a drag show (laughs) Uh, 1968, The Boston Strangler, starring Tony Curtis and uh, Henry Fonda, uh, is an unusual movie. Is it came out just uh, just six years after the the murders occurred, or was it five years actually after the murders had occurred? I think and it was five actually. It was. Yeah, I just said that. Uh, oh. <laughs> uh, the uh, and just within that short period of time, Albert DeSalvo is still alive and still hasn't been convicted of the of the killings, and yet. Uh, because he never was. He he never gets caught. Yeah. Actually, yeah, for real. Uh, he he's crazy, and he ends up in a mental institution. But uh, this is a very unusual movie. It does track in a way similarly to this, except it's centering its narrative in that very male, you know, 
perspective. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I was really having a hard time with this one early on. They do a lot of forced perspective where they're, where you're in the perspective of the killer uh, watching his victims. And then you're getting a lot of information from radio and TV, and there's no central character for like the first 30 minutes. And I mean, it was kind of interesting. It was a different way of approaching a ma- a making a movie, but it was really weird. I was really waiting for like, when's, when is Tony Curtis going to get here? He shows up, <laughs> really late in the movie actually yeah, it's like which kind of an hour into it which kind of surprised me because uh, i thought this like he's on his face is on the poster and you know he's like everything is i don't know it was it was interesting it was an interesting way to go and then they introduced multiple different cops who are doing multiple different investigations into different uh various uh uh potential killers and they were each very interesting in their own way um I, I, I like this. I think it's pretty good. Um, and and it doesn't necessarily center Albert DeSalvo until later on when Tony Curtis does enter the movie, which is kind of an int- it's kind of interesting in that way. Um, I'm not sure. Roger, I read Roger Ebert's review of this right before we, we started. And he was saying what how fast that he wrote his review back in 1968 when the movie came out. And he was talking about how this is this movie's plot like or this movie's marketing existed to exploit the Boston Strangler and it did like it, there was a display in the lobby where Roger was uh that had like this door that kind of it was this tiny cardboard door that would swing open and closed and inside were rotating photos of the 13 victims of the Boston Strangler and it's like this is a little much you know this is very yeah. this is really exploitative of what happened uh, but he also said that, on the other hand, this is you know in a pe- an incredible piece of popcorn entertainment. Like as a movie, it's really solid, uh, but it shouldn't exist. <laughs> his final <laughs> his final point was this shouldn't exist because it's very exploitative of the murders. And yeah. he, yeah, from that, that that was a really interesting to get that perspective at the time because we've got a lot of distance, and usually when it comes to stuff like this, you get like a you know a Charles Manson story, you get some distance from it, and you can tell the story in a much more detached way. Uh, and you know they weren't particularly detached from it at that time, and it had to feel kind of raw in that moment. And that's kind of an interesting perspective on this movie. Yeah, I I, I like when we go back and think, talk about a classic, I like to read a little bit about it from, you know, contemporary reviews and things like that. Um, I, I started watching this a couple of years ago. I bought the Blu-ray um, and I got it for cheap and I was like, Oh, you know what? I'm going to watch this. And I watched about half of it. And it, again, where's Tony Curtis, you know, where's <laughs> right. And I'm like, I'll come back to it. And then I never came back to it until this week. Mm-hmm. And I was, again, I was like, okay, if you're going to have somebody like Tony Curtis, who's got so much charisma, uniqueness, nerve, and talent, um, you gotta, I mean, have a minute. <laughs> but then I was like, <laughs> okay, he's in it. And it just, it was so like almost an art film towards the end. Hmm. And the, you know, like the different, like you watch the chase when, when he tries to break into the apartment and they're chasing him and, you know, when they catch him having that done with the blocks of video, you know, kind of layering on top of each other really liked that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it was just, 
again, I, I would have liked to have a bit of a female perspective on the whole thing as opposed to just the victims. Right. Um, that, so that kind of took me out of it a little bit. I, I did like Henry Fonda. I thought, you know, he played a good kind of detective in it. Um, I don't know if I'll go back to this one where I feel like I could go back to the new one first. I agree with that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, up the contrast and brightness on my TV first, but yeah, I will (laughs) definitely watch that one again. (laughs) I'm curious how your Blu-ray looked because I watched this movie on a, on an app on my TV called Freebie. And I'm and okay. on this the the cut that they have is so ugly. It it is so gross looking. It looks like it's been run through. Like it looks like somebody smoked over this thing, like ashed on it and wiped it off. Like it's like if it looks so it, muddy. If you're watching it on Freevee, there's um, I know that Tubi does sometimes. They will take a VHS dub. That's definitely what I watched. <laughs> um, and you know it's. I watched the Blu-ray looked good. It's on Hulu. Yeah. That's I, I started watching it in my living room and then I went to my bedroom and my, my, uh, region free Blu-ray player doesn't really play Blu-rays very, very often anymore. Um, it'll just like run and then spit them out. So I was Mm -hmm. like, Oh shit, I guess I have to go back to the living room. And then I was like, wait, no, it's on Hulu because they got the, they got the new one. So I watched the rest of it on there and it was, it was clear. Hmm, Okay. So, I probably but I should have just is from Twilight Time, yeah. <laughs> a boutique that is no that no longer exists. Oh yeah. So, yeah, but it's it's a good transfer. I thought Henry Fonda was incredible. Uh, he's such a great actor. He's such a he feels like Henry Fonda feels like he's he lives his characters so incredibly well. He embodies them. Yeah. And I thought this character was was one that he pulls off that trick with, where it just feels like he is that guy. Uh, he is this very intelligent, uh, very determined man uh, who's definitely weighed down by what he's seeing and what he's witnessing and what he's you know, trying to stop. Uh, and then you've got George Kennedy, who is just the, kind of the perfect cop, which uh, kind of makes yeah. him perfect for Naked Gun later on when he per- when he punctures that persona sort of brilliantly. Uh, he's fantastic in this. But then uh, to- when Tony Curtis arrives, he takes over. He takes over the movie. And it it is a it is a big performance at times but it is a mm-hmm. performance that that seems to make sense to Albert DeSalvo it make it seems to make sense to who to 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 the point where i guess tony curtis's conception of albert desalvo is the the conception that most people have of who albert desalvo was like everybody yeah. assumed based off of this movie everyone assumed that he was the guy who killed 13 women uh, and and this movie, and I think the 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 2023 movie actually makes this point kind of at the end, where one of the Boston detectives is is working on as a consultant on this movie. Uh, it it kind of shows just yeah, this was really irresponsible to make this in this moment because you're kind of ruining every other case by pointing out the by placing DeSalvo in the context of being the killer and creating this, you know, especially embodying him via Tony Curtis, you're creating, you're cementing in, in people's minds what happened with the Boston Strangler, even though that's not necessarily what happened. Uh, that's yeah. how powerful, you know, Hollywood is and how powerful Tony Curtis is in this performance is that this becomes the truth of Albert, De- Albert DeSalvo and the Boston Strangler for decades on until 
relatively recently when we were actually somebody started people started looking back on these cases going actually not all of them yeah he killed he killed the, the older women but he didn't kill all of them well and that's because cops want to just close it they just want to oh absolutely you know, oh, we got the, they got the guy that's why you get so many of these wrongful conviction podcasts that are coming out um mm-hmm. you know because they just they do they got their they got their killer you yeah. know, Brendan Dassey is in is in prison because they were just they had to get his uncle and that, you know, he obviously was there. So he obviously was the killer. And it's just it's stop. <laughs> stop. Yeah, this is you the know, biggest we, problem that's that uh, that people have when it comes to detectives. And when it, it's just and we and we see it every day in police departments across the country where a crime happens and, and a detective will go, I know who did this. And yep. they'll just set about trying to prove that that's tunnel what happened. Vision. Uh, it's and that vision. it's the worst way to go about processing a case. You, you're just ignoring the evidence. You're you're ignoring what might have actually happened, and you're trying to cobble everything into the narrative that you want it to be because you've already decided what that narrative is. That's the worst Look, way to be a detective. That is exactly what happened to Adnan Syed. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't know if you ever listen to the serial podcast, my friend Rabia, it's one of her friends, long story short. Um, you know, the detective, and I'm not going to name him because he doesn't deserve to be named. He said, oh, it's probably the boyfriend. And they made this timeline, how it had to go. And then they got somebody on a lower level drug charge to, to like, just say, yeah, everything they said. And they were, you know, they're tap, tap, tapping on this timeline to get him to follow it. Mm-hmm. Uh, w- listen to the Undisclosed podcast. It's The first season is amazing. and It, it, lay, it lays out all the bad stuff that the cops did just to get this guy put away for because they wanted to close this case. Yeah. And he just recently got out of prison because, you know, there finally was a prosecutor who said, wait a minute, we don't have to just win for winning's sake. We want to get the person who did this because you're not you're not getting justice for the victim. You know, the victims that Albert DeSalvo did not kill didn't get justice. Nope. You're right. You know, Heyman Lee did not get justice. It's find the right person. If you can't find the right person, wait a few years and get fresh eyes on it. Like they like they're doing so much of that these days with cold cases. And it's it's really changing the you know, the landscape of detective work in law enforcement and people are kind of, you know, people are getting fed up with these cops who just want to like solve the case. They want to, they don't want to solve the case. They want to close the case. Yeah. There's a and big what, difference between the two. And that's exactly what happened with Albert DeSalvo. That's exactly what Boston, the, the Boston police department did is like, we've got, there's terror in the streets. People aren't aren't buying yeah. things. Women aren't leaving the house at night. Our economy is suffering. Solve yeah. this case now. Pin it on somebody and get this off our desk. Uh, and that's yep. exactly what happened. And that's exactly why we end up where we end up. Because, uh, again, we know Albert DeSalvo killed one of them for sure. And probably yeah. more. He probably killed each yeah. of the elderly women. That's probably. why I think that he killed all the elderly women, not the younger ones. But he may not have been alone, and he in there there at least four other pop, 
proper suspects who could have been involved, certainly in the in the murders that we know he didn't commit, which was the younger women, but also even in the in the in the cases of the elderly women, he may have been working with somebody. Yeah. All right. Well, now let's talk about Ninja <sighs> Turtles. <laughs> <laughs> uh, transitioning from Bo- Boston Strangler to Ninja Turtles, Teenage Mutant oh, Ninja Turtles, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles three is uh, turning thirty this weekend. Is the subject of the ninety three podcast with myself, Amy, and MJ, which we actually just recorded that today. I uh, know it's a lot of fun. I don't hate this. I mean, it's a dumb movie for babies. And if you look at it as a dumb movie for babies, I think it's pretty good as a dumb movie for babies. Amy and MJ hate it. You know, that's not, that you'll hear that throughout the 93 show when it goes up. Is how much they hated this. I didn't hate this. Uh, I kind of I kind of enjoyed it. I never watched it because I was I was just old enough that I was still Star Wars, not ninja turtles mm-hmm. so i never Same. i didn't give a shit about ninja turtles honestly <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i was a little bit older too old for ninja turtles like because like i said i think it's a baby product and i think if you're trying to look at this as a as a movie movie it's bad like it's you know on, on a lot of different levels it's a bad movie but if you look at it as a as a movie for little little kids i think little little kids are gonna have a lot of fun watching this and to me, that was enough. Yeah. Bob, what do you think of Ninja Turtles? But it was for like older kids and teenagers. <laughs> so that little, <laughs> that's why three is so bad, because by then we've all grown up even more. <laughs> it wasn't for little little, little kids. <laughs> I don't know. I, I hated part three. I didn't mind two if I thought the stupidness was fun and it was right in there. You know, Vanilla Ice was popular, and I was dumb enough and young enough to think that was cool. Uh, but this one was just—it came. It was at that point. I think I'm in junior high, and I—I I, I grew up more with the turtles than did Star Wars. So I was a fan of the Ninja Turtles, and I just—it looked like they ran out of ideas. They didn't know what to do, <laughs> and they just. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was boring. It wasn't fun. It was just dumb. <laughs> now I didn't go back and watch <laughs> it, so maybe I would have a different appreciation. But it also seems like a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 the best part of the of the show talking about it was explaining to MJ about uh, Vanilla Ice's involvement and uh, trying to explain first who Vanilla Ice was, but also that uh, the the get to introduce them to the, the phrase "Go Ninja, Go Ninja, Go." Uh, the, the look of absolute mortification on this young person's face was quite something. I used to know every word of that song. <laughs> Aren't all the words go ninja, go ninja, go? I mean, that may be the case. I think it starts like, yo, it's the green machine. Rock the town. I'm trying to remember it without being seen. I'm, I'm kind of gone after that. <laughs> have you ever seen a turtle get down i don't know what's that I'm, oh i'm done that's that's pretty far i'm pretty surprised that, that that's far. it that's impressive <laughs> no that's it's impressive not. it's pathetic is what it is <laughs> but what part of your life what part of your life have you forgotten so you could retain that piece of information 
I don't forget <laughs> anything, and it's weird. Especially when it's bullshit. If it's important, I might forget it. Or if my wife tells me, I'll forget it. But the dumbest shit. Your I, anniversary, the kids' birthdays. Yeah, I don't know my but nieces the lyrics and nephews' to... birthdays. But... but the lyrics to, to Go Ninja Go, you've got that. I mean, everybody knew Ice that. Ice Baby, you know, that Ninja Control was not nearly that popular. Uh, the other uh, 1993 movie this week is Point of No Return uh, with uh, Bridget Fonda, a remake, of course, of a French film, I believe it was. Uh, yes. And uh, Bridget Fonda stars as a uh, woman who's trained to become a, uh, a uh, an assassin. Uh, Gabriel Byrne is her handler. Dermot Mulroney is the man she falls in love with. There's Harvey Keitel as well. Directed by John Batham. Incredibly skillful, stylish, fun. Uh, not deep necessarily, but you know, it's 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 a really solid action movie with uh, you know a female lead, which was really novel at the time, and she's a real badass in the movie, which I loved that. I really enjoyed this movie. I had a lot of fond memories of this movie. I didn't get a chance to go back and watch it this week. I wish I, w- wish I would have instead of Ninja Turtles, maybe. Because although I didn't hate that, uh, <laughs> I would have enjoyed. I would have enjoyed Point of No Return more. I'm sure, but uh, yeah, I, I loved Point of No Return for years. I saw it twice in the theater when it came out. Um, the first time, I just I had no idea, you know, that it was a remake of La Femme Nikita. Uh, I went and saw it with a friend from the dorm and we sat down and I was like this seems awful familiar and then I got back and my premiere magazine had come while I, while we were at the movies and I read it I was like oh no wonder of course it is um, this movie like I said the other day introduced me to Nina Simone uh, so it's very important to me uh, Bridget Fonda was amazing in it she's just you really bu- I really bought her as an assassin. Uh, I did not get a chance to go back and watch it, but that's what I'm watching tonight after the show. I'm going to, it was just, it was one of those movies that I had the, I played the soundtrack that summer, probably more than anything else. Hmm. So highly recommended until I watch it again tonight. I'm like, Oh my God, what did I watch? (laughs) (laughs) No, I was, I'm with you guys, especially I was, Maybe that was I was coming into the age where I liked something like this more than I would Ninja Turtles, so maybe that was why I hated Ninja Turtles. But this was—I <laughs> mean, this is one of the first action movies I'm, I mean, that I really remember and kind of it being my own and not my dad's or whatever that he was showing me. So uh, it really is a. <clears throat> I mean, I watched it a lot on video, on HBO or whatever whenever there was a free preview i remember watching that a lot it's bridget fonda was awesome i i feel like this was her peak in terms of popularity she'd done other things but you know this was maybe i'm wrong but i just i thought she was a much bigger star and she should have gone on to keep doing things like this i mean maybe they don't let women do that that much but it you know there's probably one of those there's probably one of those articles out there, one of those clickbait things, why they don't cast Bridget Fonda anymore. But it's probably just misogyny. Well, no, I, I, this was her choice. She did uh, Jackie Brown, and then she just didn't love acting anymore, and she wanted to raise a family and do other stuff. Hmm. She wasn't, you know, wasn't. She didn't really want to be an actress anymore, and she's not. She's 
you know, she, I saw an article not too long ago to get, I guess we're going back to the appearance of actresses where she gained a lot of weight and you couldn't recognize her and good for her. She just didn't want to do it anymore. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. She left behind a bunch of stuff that will be remembered forever. So. Yeah. And it's probably better for her legacy. (laughs) Probably anybody's. Yeah. Who does that? No, I agree. I mean, but this, I, I, this was a star making role and a, just a ton of fun. You'll have to let me know if it's Absolutely. any good though. <laughs> all right. Well, that's, uh, that's all the movies this week. Uh, if you want to get on to some flick chart guys. Yeah, yeah. Do you know off the top of your head what's next week? I know I t- wrote it down. Oh, uh, John wick, John wick. Uh, John Wick 4 is what we're talking about. So we'll be talking about all the John Wick movies next week. There is also one other new movie. We don't need to talk about it, but The The Lost King with Sally Hawkins is a movie I'm looking forward to seeing because it does have a very intriguing story. Uh, So uh, based on a true story about a woman who may or may not have found the the remains of of a king, of an English king from that many people thought could never be found. It's kind of an interesting story. Yeah. Uh, 93 nothing really of note what are you guys watching do you know we're watching <laughs> so uh, this is fun uh, we had a movie earlier this year called Hexed uh, with uh, Ari, Ari Gross and uh, Ari Gross is back already uh, he got another movie uh, <laughs> The Opposite Sex and How to Live with Them somehow has worse reviews than Hexed and so it made it just irresistible to watch <laughs> <laughs> how bad does a movie have to be to be worse than hexed is the question we're going to answer it, they literally have to kill children and puppies and kittens <laughs> because hexed is one of the worst movies that's ever, ever ever existed well, when you have nine words in your title that doesn't help you. <laughs> <laughs> this has got courtney cox jeff if you want to you want to watch it it's got courtney cox i'm good yeah <laughs> This is more like Master of the Universe, Courtney Cox, and less friends, Courtney Cox. <laughs> it is, yeah. Mm-hmm. I might watch Born Yesterday. The Melanie, that's the Melanie Griffith one, I'm assuming. Yeah, Melanie Griffith, Don Johnson, and John Goodman, a remake of a 1960s movie, early 1960s movie. We also got Hear No Evil and Married to uh, It. 1950s, that, uh, because Judy Holliday, uh, is it Judy Holliday? Might be. Uh, what? She beat out uh, Betty Davis and uh, Gloria Swanson for Best Actress for Born Yesterday. So, hmm. so it's like 1950. All right. Flick chart time. Child's Play, School of Rock. School of Rock. Child's Play. School of Rock. Don't like Jack Black. Except in, I, know, I still know what you did last summer. <laughs> Doc Hollywood, Stealing Christmas. I don't remember stealing Christmas. What is that? Oh, Tony Danza. Tony Danza, Leah Thompson. No, I have no idea Eddie what that White. is. Never seen it. Yeah, never heard of it. I don't even remember Doc Hollywood. I know I've seen it, but Doc Hollywood, Flight of the Navigator. Doc Hollywood is an important movie for me because uh, it's 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 where I confirm my heterosexuality. Uh, <laughs> as far as I know, no, there's a scene in the movie, like my first real, like my fo- my first great boob scene where I, in a movie that just did not expect to see boobs. Uh, there's a scene where the, the main character's girlfriend before she's even the first time they meet, she's walking out of a lake topless for some reason. <laughs> and it's like, wow, 
<laughs> boobs. And Michael uh, J. Fox. I'm excited. In it, so. <laughs> uh, Doc, weird, weird, weird anecdote. But yeah, I'm choosing Doc Hollywood. Sadly, that's the only thing I remember about the movie as well. <laughs> but I will choose that over Flight of the Navigator. <laughs> yeah, same. <clears throat> the Mummy Tomb of the Dragon Emperor, You, Me, and Dupree. Um, the Mummy. Yeah, The Mummy. I don't care. American Pie 2 Sausage Party. That's tough. American Pie 2. That's tough for me. Because uh, I think Sausage Party is really, really funny. Um, hmm. My niece has watched that. I'm convinced that's why they are the way they are. <laughs> Bob, where are you going? I'm going American Pie 2. I actually didn't like Sausage Party. I don't know if <laughs> I just had too big of a a bar for it or what, but I just, I didn't know that dicks funny. In it for you. <laughs> Maybe I just didn't do anything for me. Six days, seven nights exit through the gift shop, exit through the gift shop. Oh, I really like six days, seven nights. I feel like because of Anne Hache coming out and, you know, I think it really got a kind of a bad rap, but mm-hmm. I saw Exit Through the Gift Shop right after I saw the Mr. Brainwash show when I live in New York, so I'm going to go with that. I've never seen that. The Hunger Games, Catching Fire, The Wolfman. Hunger Games. Yep. The Terminator, Pretty Woman. The Terminator. I wish the Terminator <laughs> would kill Pretty Woman. Oh, <laughs> God. There, the one thing I remember about Sean... And his reviews is how much he has always fucking hated Pretty Woman. <laughs> but yeah, I'm gonna go with Terminator too. But I, I, well, can, I don't hate Pretty Woman. I can relate though. I think as much of him hating the movie has to do with the movie as it does the audience for it. That audience can be <laughs> pretty. <laughs> Which happens. To, it also happens to be my mom's favorite movie. <laughs> Uh, my bad. Oh, Sue. <laughs> R.I.P. Ma. <laughs> but she knew. She knew I hated it. She knew I hated it. It's okay. I can hear her saying, "But why? <laughs> it's a good movie." <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> it's not. The Legend of Bagger Vance, Little Giants. Uh, the Legend of Bagger Vance. You pick Bob. I've never seen either one of them. Neither, neither vibe, so Sean wins. Oh. <laughs> it's more I hate the other movie than I like Legend Better Legend of Bagger Vance. <laughs> Logan's Run, Chariots of Fire. Logan's Run. Logan's Run by a lot. Yeah, Chariots of Fire. Good God, what a boring movie. <laughs> oh, that won an Oscar. Oh, that just shows you how old <laughs> Academy is always been. Uh, and they're still voting. Those st- those same yeah. people are still voting. <laughs> There were only 63 then when it came out. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, is your internet ending the show? No, not. <laughs> is there anything you want to run through? I mean, I guess we could do Boston Strangler. It's not going to do very well. Yeah. All right, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. Lord of the Rings. Oh, I just want to see if Sean actually say that. <laughs> or whatever. I don't care about I don't Lord really of the Rings. I don't care either, but 
Garden, that would actually be a tough one. <laughs> Garden, Garden State or Swingers? Garden State. Garden State. I'll go Swingers. It's tough, though. I, I, yeah, it's tough. Open Water Moonlight. Swingers, swingers to me is only like it, it's diminishing returns every time I watch it. That's reasonable. Well, and the fact that Vince Vaughn just keeps... He, I, mean, I guess he's not as bad as some other people, but when you, I saw Swingers for the first time, I didn't know who he was. So he was actually kind of refreshing yeah. and fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same here. Uh, open water or moonlight? moonlight? Moonlight. I love open water, though. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, finally we can move on to the Boston Strangler. <laughs> All right. I was just waiting for a non-good matchup. All right. The Boston Strangler 3 from Hell. <laughs> the Boston Strangler. Yeah, I fucking hate Rob Zombie. Sorry, horror nerds. I enjoy Rob Zombie. <laughs> Devil's Rejects, one of my favorite movies ever. That's uh, Yeah, well, there's no accounting for taste. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> God, my internet. I don't hate Rob Zombie, I hate his movies. I only like Devil's Rejects. I think I get lumped into a huge Rob Zombie fan because of that. But I thought 33 from Hell was kind of bad. Boston Strangler 21. Boston Strangler. Yep, same. Two in a row. Although Nicolas Cage was great in that movie. What the hell happened? <laughs> well. That was, wow, I just kind of gave up. <laughs> I already did that one. I feel like my internet might have picked weird. like nine of them for us. <laughs> they did see it kind of glitch on me. Yeah. <sighs> that was funny. It was just, it's just sort of like, yeah, you're done. <laughs> like 672 is actually a really good spot for this movie. Right behind the Brady Bunch. <laughs> <laughs> sure, Jan. <laughs> All right. We did this over 21, right? Yep. Uh, yeah, yeah. Maybe they yeah, let us, maybe they think it's just this one. I don't know. I don't know. That's uh-huh. weird. That's fine. I guess we're done. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, thanks for having me back, guys. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for coming back, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll talk to you guys next week. Cool. John Wick week. Mate. Oh yeah. <laughs>